Hey everybody, this is Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. Help support the Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash Batman Universe. I'm sorry, Dane, but that wasn't one of your smoothest intros. I've yeah, it doing wasn't. so good for so long. It wasn't <laughs> because I, I totally forgot what our name is. Uh, Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. How could you forget that name? Yeah, Chicago Blackhawks fan, Mark Tiberius Lemke. Okay. <laughs> Mark Tiberius Lemke, uh, Chicago Blackhawks fan. Yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it back, backwards and forwards, Tim. I can, I can do it either way. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you didn't do it backwards when you said it initially. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim, man, I am so – I just feel bad. You know why? Are you feeling sorry for the Yankees right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling bad for uh, especially uh, Dexter Fowler. Uh, Dustin Fowler. Was Dustin Fowler, sorry. Dexter Fowler is on the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, I, t- I totally forgot his name, but I feel bad for him. Man, that's season-ending season ending surgery. Uh, this is your first major league game. Didn't even get to bat. And got himself hurt. Yeah, that was that was awful. I mean, just watching it, like you know, he was being called up, or everyone's talking about him. He was kind of like a prospect who, uh, like, was lo- pretty low in the draft picks originally, but he's been producing in the minor league, so they're gonna call him up. Gets called up, like first bottom of the first, rams into the fencing in the wall, trying to catch a foul ball, and then. Yeah, just, I forget the exact wording of it, what his injury is, but he tore up his knee really bad. Like, oh. if you see it, you could see, it, like, part of, like, the ligament or something came out of, like, through the skin. Like, there was something showing. You could see oh. it through the uniform, too. Like, it was popped out, and it did not look good. Yeah, it just sucked, you know. Being all excited as a kid coming up for your first major league a game, I mean, something you dream about for probably the whole life, and then that happens before he gets his first at bat. It's like, man, like, yeah, you just feel really bad for him. Yeah, did you see? Did you see it was on like the anniversary of? Uh, I mean, it was almost to the yeah. day of uh, Moonlight and Moonlight Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's kind of freaky. Yeah, I aspect. know. Did he play for the New York Giants? Uh, he might have. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, who did he play for? Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that that's so sad. And hopefully, yeah. he can hopefully he can. Uh, you know, recover from this and get a spot back. Yeah, I mean, hopefully next year he could. I mean, I heard it's not an easy thing to come back from, but yeah, hopefully he can make it at least. I mean, even if he doesn't have the greatest career ever, this hopefully he can get back in the big leagues and have it at bat. Yeah. <laughs> that's gonna. Yeah. That's something that would probably bother you for the rest of your life. You never get the chance again, and you never got one at bat. So that was the, the top of the first, then. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to hit uh, leadoff. Yep, next inning he was going to lead off. Oh, man. It was like a bad break all around. Yeah, I know. And then, Dane, I remember on our last episode, I told you, I went to, I went to the Yankees-Angels game. Yeah. And they were on a six-game winning streak until the game I went to, and they lost. And they lost every game up to we recorded that podcast episode where they were playing Oakland. Well, yeah. they got swept by Oakland, and they've had the worst <laughs> record, <laughs> I think, in the span of these last three weeks where they're, like, four or five out of like 19 something like that they've only won five games over the last three weeks wow and i think i jinxed though 
it's like, uh, should I go to any more Yankees Angels games if this is going to happen? <laughs> not a, not if you're a Yankees fan, Tim. I, don't, I wouldn't go. <laughs> yeah, they were on a roll when they, right before we saw them, and then they just spiraled down. Like not just the losing, but injuries too. They've been bit by the injury bug. Like everything went wrong. Yeah, all because of me. <laughs> so. The Yankees universe of fans, you can go ahead and blame me for going to see him and causing the spiral. But they haven't totally collapsed because they're still like a game out of first place. I didn't know uh, Brett Gardner was, a, was still on the team. Yeah. Is he the most veteran guy on that roster? Yeah, since he's been there since 2008. So, wow. yeah. It's kind wow. of hard to believe, actually, <laughs> yeah. that he's now the veteran. Or they, what has been there the longest. They uh, didn't sign him, right? Uh, yeah, they did. Oh, they did? Mm. They drafted him and everything? Yep. Oh. He's from their system. Oh, wow. So so, so they, ha- they have at least one homegrown talent. Well, one who's been there for a while, but they're hopefully with, you know, Judge and Sanchez. <laughs> they're oh. playing this year. They're the start of a new generation of homegrown talent. <laughs> but um, speaking of baseball... Um, Unfortunately for, for, for the A's, it hasn't been very pretty as the, this this whole season has been. Well, they swept the Yankees in four games. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, a highlight. It doesn't help when you're still in the, at, at, at the bottom of your division. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so they decided to um, uh, designate uh, Stephen Vogt, who at that point had Oh, been, really? I didn't yeah, hear that. So they, they DFA'd him because he just was not hitting he, um, I, I, I guess he was just going through a dry spell where he wasn't hitting, right? So they uh, DFA'd him, and then uh, uh, the Brewers uh, picked him up off of waivers, right? <laughs> Let me guess, he's hitting now. Oh, that, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a video of him. He had like a two-run homer. Um <laughs> So yeah, um, well, I guess it's that old saying: change of scenery can sometimes do a player good. Yeah, I think so. I, and to be honest, I I didn't think anybody's going to pick him up. Um, you know, he's an older guy. He's not really one of those flashy guys. You know, he's not an Albert Pujols. You know, he's he uh, he hadn't played played uh, you know catcher for. I'd say at least a couple of weeks. I mean, I think he's only strictly been, you know, just a DH. DH. Yeah, I'm surprised so, the National League team picked him up then. Yeah, I know. So I, I'm just wondering where he, where is he on that roster? I know he played a little first base, but yeah, he'd have to. I'm sure that's the position they put him in. Yeah, because I don't know. I I think he might be a little too old for the catcher position. You know, mm. but. Um, yeah. So anyway, the the, <laughs> the A's uh, decided to get rid of their uh, probably their longest tenured player, the player that's been on their roster the longest, which kind of is saying three years. Yeah, like three, four, <laughs> maybe even five years. Um, wow, five. That's pushing. Yeah. It. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's part of being an A's fan. You know, you you can't. I mean, no matter how good. The guy, the guy's story is, you know, how, how he came up through the minor leagues, like like Stephen Vogt, for instance. You know, he was, he wasn't really drafted that high. He, uh, 
he probably wasn't ever going to make a major league roster. Um, and he was getting old. But he thrived in Oakland. And, you know, now he has a position at at Milwaukee. So, you know, I, you, if you're an Oakland A's fan, you can't fall in love with the stories or the players. You just have to be like... You, you have to be like, oh, okay, that guy's on our team now. Okay. I was going to say, Oakland A's fans, they have to have the Jedi mentality, no attachments to yeah. any of their players. Yeah, <laughs> you know they're not going to last. <laughs> if they're good, they're going to go to the East Coast. They're going to be, <laughs> <laughs> whether it's through free agency or it's a trade, they're going to go to the East Coast. They're going to go to the Yankees. They're going to go to the Red Sox. Uh, if it's a all right player, I'd say they're probably going to stick around for a few years and then they're going to be traded away. Um, but if you are, in fact, if you don't have the, t- the talent to play in the major leagues, you're probably going to stick around <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, you're not going to get a big long-term contract uh, from the A's. Or from anybody else, but the A's can afford you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you fill a spot, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you'll have some great moments throughout the season where you take a, you sweep a four game set, one of the best teams in baseball. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's some highs in the long season for those type of players, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, the the, the trades and the moves it di- didn't really bother me until uh, Josh Reddick uh, got traded away. Because he was a great player, the fans loved him. He was probably the the, the brightest spot, I'd say, the last two years on the on the A's roster. Mm. Uh, and I think I was telling you, Tim. Uh, they, I was listening to an interview with with Josh Reddick, and he. It it was clear from spring training that they probably weren't going to bring him back. Yeah, and he had just bought a house in Oakland. <laughs> so yeah, I imagine that, he sold it by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little bad. Um, but yeah, yeah he's yeah, having I mean, a good year with the Astros right now too. Yeah, apparently because um, I think the A's just played him. I think he homered in both games or two games <laughs> at least. So yeah, um, I, I think. If you're going to be an A's fan, just take that as the rule of thumb. That if you, I mean, don't get attached to players, you know, because they're probably going to be gone. Uh, I just think of Yoda's line when he's talking to Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. Miss them, do not. More than them, do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely the mindset of Oakland A's fans, or at least that's the mindset that you need. You need a... <laughs> A Jedi <laughs> mindset. So, you know, I think someone should do like a a parody video of that scene, like with Yoda saying that he's flicks a Photoshop of Oakland A's hat on Anakin. <laughs> he's talking. <laughs> oh yeah, like um, I was thinking about this recently, right? And I mean, the All Star voting is going on right now, right? And yeah, it's probably closed by right now. Oh yeah, it closed they uh, it tomorrow. Yeah, it closed thursday i think it was um but what i don't understand is i mean there's some people that 
they, I mean, this bothered me last year. Um, I mean, I guess they only like teams that are really, really popular and like send mm-hmm. three, four players to the all-star game or whatever, to the, to the home run derby. Um, but, but I don't get their, their thinking when they, when they're talking about like, or they see a guy go, uh, from a team that, you know, it's a small team, like the, the A's or the Brewers or, you know, whoever, right? And then they get, they get all mad because that one person got to go. But yet, uh, for their team, four people got to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I know, I, I know you're a Yankees fan, Tim, and you may not understand this, but if you're a fan of a small market team and you see one player from your team go to the All-Star game, right? You know how special that is? Oh, and, sure, and, yeah. And you know how much you're watching that guy? And you're just hoping he gets a chance to play in it, too, because sometimes yeah. that's not always the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember a couple of years ago, um, uh, you went to Cespedes when he was still with the A's. He uh, didn't go to the All-Star game, but he was invited to the um, home, run uh, derby. home Run Derby, and yeah. he, he won it. And you know how special that was? That I mean, that was like, I mean, that, that made like my month. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, he, he wasn't even invited there. Um, the only reason why he participated in the Home Run Derby was because uh, David Ortiz invited him. So, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I mean, I, I guess you only like teams that have, send four guys, you know, to the All-Star game. But, but for me, you know, if the A's can send one guy... You know, I'm happy. And I, I guess you don't know what it means because, you know, I'm watching that one guy and hopefully he gets in. Hopefully he wins the home run derby or hopefully yeah. he competes in it, you know. And hopefully he gets to, you know, I don't know, bat in the ninth inning. <laughs> so, I know, yeah. like the last few years, I think it was either 2015 or last year where like the whole infield was – Kansas City Royals or Cubs, yeah. <laughs> like those two teams last year are dominating. Like it was pretty much those teams against each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's like Cubs, uh, Royals, uh, Cubs. And Royals. believe it or not, not too many Yankees have made it the last few years. So they haven't dominated like they did like yeah. about a decade ago. Cubs, Royals, Dodgers. Dodgers. Yeah, the Dodgers have a yeah, they probably won't have a good of showing. I yeah. think. Um, Reds. <laughs> mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like the idea where each team has to at least have one representative yeah. from there because it's kind of suck if <laughs> there's like one team that's left out. They have no representation. Like you got to have all of them there. Yeah, because like, what if it just so happens that like the um, there wasn't that rule. And the entire Kansas City Royals got picked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it will be have to step in and do something where like, yeah. you can't have that, <laughs> despite the votes. <laughs> and I mean, rightfully so. I mean, yeah, the, the Royals, you know, should have, you know, four or three, four players go or whatever it is. And same, with, same thing with the Cubs, you know, they won the World Series last year. So, um, yeah. I mean, but anyway, uh, I guess we can do our Dark Knight Rises Minute by Minute commentary. We, we went kind of long on the baseball talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, so yeah, just queue up your uh, HD DVD, your VHS tape, your projector, your laser disc, your uh, Blockbuster rental, uh, your Netflix uh, DVD subscription. Uh, did I miss one? Did you, say, did you say beta? Beta, yeah. Your beta <laughs> tape. Um, I think they got them all covered. Hollywood video <laughs> rental. Yeah, Hollywood video. <laughs> We're going down to the old video rental chain. How about warehouse? Warehouse video. <laughs> um, your Tower Records. Uh, Tower Records. They, do they rent out videos? Well, they they sold DVDs, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what they rented. Um, Sam, had- Sam Goody. DVD. Yeah. <laughs> we had a store, it wasn't a chain or anything, it was called Super Duper Video. Super Duper Video? Yeah, where, oh. that's where we rented a lot of games because they were, they gave you an extra day than what Blockbuster did. We got to have the, the rental period was four days and like that was like, wow, that's a long time when you were a kid <laughs> to yeah. rent a game for that long. So. <laughs> what was the name of their game section? Game Studio? Game well, studio or how, or? Oh, Game Crazy? Yeah, for uh, Blockbuster. Oh, Blockbuster. Oh, oh, wait. Game Crazy was uh, Hollywood Video. Yeah. And late in the game, Blockbuster tried to do that. And I don't remember what theirs was called. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was green, I think. Like, uh, what was that called? Um, I forget. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, I, so, I, I just remember Game Crazy for Hollywood Video. They had like, it was like you're in a cage fight or something. It was like, there was like chain link fence around their video really? games. Like they're like, they don't look very good. <laughs> oh, so, so it, it, it was pretty much just like a regular rental then. Mm-hmm. Like you could beat the game and uh, return it. Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, I see. Well, uh, yeah, just get any of those, um, medias and, I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. Oh, sorry. We're on the 86th minute. We're going to the 87th minute. So, ju- make sure you queue up your your uh, your um, Hollywood video rental. Your <laughs> <laughs> Before you have to return it, watch this one more. Watch this one minute. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just queue up your media to the 86th minute. I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? Let's go. All right. Three, two, one, and play. Bane gets up from, looks like he's been sitting down for a long time. <laughs> well, it takes a while for that thing to start up. That's true. And John Blake going back to the construction site doing some detective work. Oh, I thought this was a cement company. Uh, construction, they're probably yeah. all around. They're in the same family. <laughs> this is the cement side of things. Now, did you see this coming, Dane, from these two uh, cement workers? Of course, trying to take they, him out. <laughs> I mean, there was only two people. That's why. I mean, how about when they first that first scene where he was blocking the road in the truck? Like, did you just think that was something there? So, oh yeah, you know, I mean, they couldn't access that way out, or did you think? Because I had no idea they were going to come back and play a part where you know they're actually trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they make it kind of obvious, him, because you see that guy and. It's like it's 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 more like why why does he have lines? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> why does a a cement truck driver have lines? <laughs> but yeah, that's the end of John our... Blake did take him out. Oh. Cool. Say, shooting yeah. the bullet behind that ricocheted into his back. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, that's the end of our minute-by-minute uh, minute commentary. So, uh, Tim, why don't you tell everybody what our featured topic is for this episode? Yeah, so for this episode, this is actually a featured topic I wanted to do a few episodes ago, but um, we had some big stuff come up, like the Wonder Woman movie and the unfortunate passing of Adam West, which we had to give tribute for. So kind of pushed this one back a little bit. But it's going to be uh, DC Rebirth one year later, kind of what of our thoughts on the whole initiative that dc started a year ago now which is so hard to believe <laughs> it's already been a year but yeah to kind of see what our feelings are on it how it's been what we're looking forward to what were some of our favorite books what weren't our favorite books so kind of just you know give a, a state of the union i guess on dc rebirth <laughs> for a year so yeah for me personally i'll just go ahead and kick it off i mean just looking back how uh, when they announced it kind of the uncertainty that was going on with that hints they were saying because they're just teasing the word rebirth and is it going to be a whole reboot what are they going to do with it and then that rebirth special one shot came out and this kind of blew everybody away <laughs> kind of doing the best of both worlds where they were keeping the continuity they established in the new 52 it wasn't a reset but yet bringing back some of the old stuff in history that a lot of fans including myself have been wanting and characters who weren't there in the new 52 and bringing them back so we got everyone excited after that one shot and then the new comics came out and right away it, it, at least for me and i know from other fans and just from critically too they were just really well received exactly what dc set out to do uh, embracing their rich history but yet telling good new stories with the characters that just felt right for them so i was really happy with it when it started with a lot of comics that i've gotten and i so happy to say that it's continued <laughs> throughout the year and i don't see any signs of it slowing down because i was just looking at all the books i've collected since rebirth started and there were some i haven't kept up with but still a good portion of books that i've been reading which i think i can't say the same for when the new 52 happened and that had its one year anniversary there was a lot of books i dropped off on that but with rebirth a lot of the books i started when it was first announced i'm still reading and they're still been really really solid so um yeah the ones i started at the beginning and continue to read are uh, action comics superman detective batman all-star batman uh, wonder woman how jordan the green lantern corps the flash so those are the ones that when rebirth first started those were there at the beginning and i'm still sticking with but then a little bit after the initial launch, some other titles came out that have been really good, like Trinity and Super Sons, and then there's uh, Batman Beyond. So those ones I'm still reading. Batman Beyond, I'm a little behind on right now, but I eventually want to catch up. So just the main list of DC heroes, like the main members, all their books have been fantastic, I thought, of like Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash. My favorite characters in the DC universe, they've been doing really really well and i'm just so glad it's continuing on and then uh just excited too where those books are at now and then what's to come later with some of the stories or teasing and the event stuff and i just liked how it was it was all the comics were rolled out throughout the, the course of the year and how they were planning events and stuff because the one thing i was curious about after that one shot they teased the Watchmen connection, and everyone's wondering, how is that going to work? Oh, this is probably going to be a big event that we're going to get, and which it is in Doomsday Clock later this year. But I think it paid off that they didn't have an event for that right away in the first year. They just let these 
new stories and creative teams let their issues breathe out the length and time frame that they need for readers just to get invested in those books and those characters without having you know to worry about a big event that's coming really soon and they had one with the justice league versus uh, suicide squad which was a fun event series but it was nothing major that changes the dc universe so i just think the layout they had in the time frame they had for several of their big releases i thought has been really good too just let these stories breathe on their own not having to worry about a big event but now in the second year of rebirth we're going to get that big event that uh, was teased in the very first one shot special so i've been super happy with rebirth i'm glad it's continuing to do so it wasn't just uh that you know five minutes of fame type of thing where everybody's talking about reverse because it's a, a slash relaunch uh, reboot type the scenario with comics which i'm sure a lot of just casual fans were thinking it was but it got a lot of people talking about it and it sustained that positive buzz for over a year which i think is great and shows no sign of slowing down so I think all in all, Rebirth's been a huge success for DC. We see that Marvel's even trying to get on that with their, I think they're calling it a Marvel Legacy relaunch, which I haven't looked in too much of it because the only Marvel book I really read consistently is Spider-Man. But I know it hasn't made a lot of fans happy, so I don't think it's going to be quite well-received as Rebirth was. But I think this DC set the pattern where, you know, you got to embrace your history and at the same time creating new stories. And I think that's the biggest success of Rebirth, so... Yeah, I've been really pleased with it. Dane, I know you haven't been reading as much of the Rebrook titles as I have, but for the ones you have, how do you think it's been over the last years for you? It's been good. Um, and compared to the New 52, since you uh, brought that up, um, it, it, it's kind of funny because when the New 52 launched, it was kind of around the time of uh, um, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt that that, I mean... After uh, New 52 launched, I felt that it was a giant missed opportunity. Whereas um, the Rebirth books uh, kind of came came out around the time of uh, Batman vs. Superman, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt that uh, Rebirth was stronger than that. And it's uh, sh- stronger than that movie, whereas I thought that The Dark Knight Rises was stronger than the comics that came out mm. during that time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of the, uh, two, you know, opposites, but, um, yeah, I've, I have enjoyed the rebirth because they're taking their time with it. They're not yeah. throwing everything at you at once. You know, it's not all information. Um, it's not all, um, thrown at you at once. It's more of a, it's it's more of a like they're building a house, right? The, but you have to lay down the foundation first, and mm-hmm. I feel that they've done that nicely. It's not, you know, a huge crossover where you have to pick up every book. You know, yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of Batwing, uh, you know, so I'm not going to pick up his book. But if it's tied to this huge big storyline, then I guess I have to pick up Batwing. You know. Or yep. I have to pick up Catwoman, or I have to pick up Batgirl, or I have to pick up, you know, uh, Grayson, or whatever uh, is going on with uh, Dick Grayson now. Um, it's just one of those things where it's it's like, I like Batman, so I'm going to pick up Batman, and I'm going to pick up Detective Comics. And I think that what they've done differently is that they, they made the two books separate from everything else. 
they, they, even themselves. It's you know if if you if you're say a Wonder Woman fan, right? You can only read Wonder Woman and get everything that you know has to do with her story during the rebirth. If you're a fan of Green Lantern, um, I'm not sure about all the other the, the the other you know Green Lantern books, but it, say you only read Green Lantern Corps, I'm sure there's a story there that doesn't connect with three, four, five other books, mm-hmm. and that's where I really, really really appreciate what DC is doing. I, I think that's a positive. I think you can't out of the gate do a big, huge crossover story where, you know, you're, you're kind of forcing people uh, to buy books that they don't really read on the regular. Um, and so I, f- I feel like this is the better strategy. You know, you, you, you have to have good stories to start off with that don't have anything to do with, um, anything else besides their their own universe um and they they've done a really good job with it you know it's um it's a slower approach like i said um it may not be for you know to everybody's liking because i mean some people like these huge big crossover uh the entire company is focused on this one big huge event where you gotta buy every book you gotta you know, uh, by the, 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 di- the digital tie-ins on your, on your, you know, your phone or whatever. Um, and some people like that. It may turn them off. It, it, it may, you know, uh, keep them from buying DC books. But for me, um, what I want is I want a Batman story, right? You know, I, I, I don't want to read a, a Batman story that ties into, this huge big crossover i just want a batman story where he's in gotham he's fighting gotham criminals um you know occasionally there's batwoman in it there's you know all these other characters there's tim in it um so yeah i i think they they did it right this time it's it's not about continuity um i remember that was the biggest problem with the new 52 uh especially especially um with, yeah, of course, uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman. How long he, was he Batman before this and all yeah, that stuff? All the Robins he had. <laughs> yeah, short of time. yeah, the whole Robin thing. Um, and uh, the biggest one was Batgirl, uh, Barbara Gordon. Yeah. How did she learn how to walk? And that was never really explained, even though we were told that it was going to be explained in a later story. Um, and if it was, it was like way too long than it should have been. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, you should have started off with that on page one of book one, you know? Um, So, yeah, um, I think DC did it right this time. It's not about continuity. It's not about how long Batman's been Batman. It's not about Robin uh, or or how many Robins he's had or or whatever or what the Robin role is. I remember that was a big confusion, too. it's it, it's it's about what we love. It's about Batman fighting crime in Gotham, and I I really appreciate that. And it's not about these big crossover universe changing stories that you know that that define the whole relaunch. You know they they didn't build the relaunch, the rebirth, if uh, on a, a big major crossover. You know it was just a relaunch. 
And it's refreshing in that sense because we don't have to know every single little thing. Um, especially if you're a new reader, you see, you know, um, you see that DC is doing a new relaunch and say you like Wonder Woman because that movie just came out and, you know, you like uh, what you saw in the movie. Um, you know, that person isn't necessarily going to be, you know, aware of every single little aspect of both the DC universe and Wonder Woman. You know, they're going to know Wonder Woman from the movie. And I feel like uh, it, it, if you read Wonder Woman from the first issue to now, um, you, you'd get a good sense of, you know, what the comic books are like. And I think... Totally. And I think that that works in DC's favor. And it works for me. It works for me on a small scale where it's just about you know, Batman, you know, it's just about Gotham. It's just about all those characters that I like. And yeah, I mean, I, I think they did a really good job. Yeah. You bring up a good point with whole Wonder Woman uh, with her rebirth title and with the movie, because you're right. If someone, there's a, it wasn't pretty much never read a Wonder Woman comic before they saw the movie and they want to get invested in Wonder Woman comics the rebirth titles is it ended up being the perfect launching point to get into that with the whole with her year one story and how it played into where she's at in the current timeline and it's perfect for a new fan to get into Wonder Woman comics. It tells his origin story it gives you her history and how where and how she adapted into a man's world and all that sure it's different than the movie, but it's done in a way that it's not going to confuse any new readers they're going to get the gist of it in this version of Wonder Woman's history. So part of me thinks that it might have been planned that way <laughs> to get uh, those, even though uh, Greg Ruckus started his run quite a few, uh, well, pretty much a year before the movie came out, but I'm sure they were well aware what the movie is going to be like then. So maybe they wanted to make sure they had a year one type story in there for new readers after they see the movie, which, you know, is probably collected in trades now. So if anyone Wanted to pick up a more recent Wonder Woman comics. Greg Rucka's one run for Rebirth is the perfect place to go, I think. So it's scenarios like that where you, you could say that for a lot of Rebirth books, but you know, it's not all the characters have new movies out right now. But that they were a lot of good jumping on points. And and you were saying about crossover stuff. It just made me think. It's you're right because it's kind of rare when you see in some Rebirth issues, you know, those little footnotes that tells you when something happened. Like, see this issue by the editor. You get a few of those, but it's not as much as, you know, <laughs> there usually is for some of these comic stories, which is nice and refreshing, as you said. So they've done a great job with that. I agree. And the other big thing to come out of Rebirth for certain titles anyway was the uh, biweekly release schedule. And, you know, I was a little um, curious about that. I wouldn't say worried or nervous, but curious to see how that would work out, if it would sustain. Would we see, you know, dip in qualities at all from writers and artists not, you know, putting out a book? Uh, two issues of a book for one month and for the ones i'm reading i'd say it hasn't been an issue at all they've maintained the quality of the stories uh for the ones i've really enjoyed they've been good throughout as far as you know getting two issues a month yeah i didn't haven't noticed anything where made that made me think as i'm reading well if they had a little more time it would have been better no it just felt like a natural continuation of a comic series except you're getting a little sooner, and that's really cool. So <laughs> I think the bi-monthly release schedule has worked a lot for some of the books, and uh, they haven't slow, slowed down on that at all either. And I haven't heard anything about them like not doing that anymore for the main books, like 
Batman, Detective, Wonder Woman, the Superman book. So as long as they can continue to put those out and sustain the quality that it has been, I mean, that's a win-win for fans. So because we just get more good stuff in one month. So I thought that's worked out really well also. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like you said, they, they've kept it up. And I think I, I think it works out better. You know, because we're not waiting a month and then it's a filler issue, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, oh, okay, so Batman was putting on the 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 suit. Like one issue of that. Okay. Now I gotta wait another month for him to actually get into the Batmobile. <laughs> you know, it's it, it you don't have that problem. And it's weird because they are putting on more issues, but it feels like a slower kind of thing. It's not, you know, they're trying to rush every single thing, you know, mm. into into um, five issues. It, it, it feels like they're really, really taking their time, um, which is kind of weird because they're putting two two issues out a month, the, you know, the whole biweekly thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm I, Tim. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm actually happy where uh, DC Comics is right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know over those last few years of New Fifty Two, those weren't good times for you yeah. <laughs> as a comic reader. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I mean, it's I've said it a thousand times on this podcast, and you know, I've said it even on this episode. But you know, it, it's it was the whole rush to do every single thing, explain the continuity, explain the story, explain the crossover, explain the big major event, uh, explain the characters uh, and their entire history in ten issues. That really, uh, it, it it's it wasn't executed very well, and I think they I, I think they've learned their lesson, and they're approaching this slower. They're not touching. They're not touching on um, the continuity at all, it seems. Uh, in small doses there, but like it's, it's done at a good pace, like you said. It's not right. just trying to cram it down your throat. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and and that's the sense that I got from the New 52 and looking back on it is they tried to just shove so much information into their, their issues that mm-hmm. it became – you know, um, it raised more questions, right? Too. Yeah. Right. It, it raised more questions than it answered because they had to tell the big crossover story, um, and the, the the books weren't given the books and the characters weren't given the time that they needed to actually or to to really tell their own thing. You know, t- tell the characters' history and tell you know, their own story. And I think that's where Rebirth got it right, you know. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I'm happy where <laughs> I'm happy where DC is with their books, with, with their characters. Um, you know, it's overall, um, I think that this has been a great uh, relaunch. Totally agree. And I also like how the arcs at the beginning, even throughout most of its first year, have been nice, short, and contained. They haven't been real extensive, Kind of like some of the new 52 ones were. I mean, and I love some of them. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Court of Owls. It was a long story, but I pretty much loved every issue of it. But it has been nice for Rebirth to get these short story arcs that are pretty much this last five issues. 
and I think that's a, a perfect link for that. You just to tell a, a good, nice, self-contained story, and then you move on to the next one. And some of them are bigger than others, but I just think that like five to six issue story arc length has worked out really good for most of their books as well. Yeah, and don't get, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the, um, there were great stories in Rebirth. I mean, uh, Relaunch. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, New 52, sorry. <laughs> oh, definitely, um, yeah. You know, the Scott Snyder stuff, J.H. Uh, Wonder Williams. Wonder Woman was, awesome, was yeah. awesome. Brian Azzarello's one, that was really good. Right, right, right. Uh, the J.H. Williams, Hayden Blackman, mm-hmm. Battle Woman. Um, uh, and even, um, um, what is that called? Uh, Batgirl. Uh, Batgirl, after, you know, they, they had gotten over the hump of uh, trying to explain um how Bab started walking again. There were a couple good issues there. I love the first arc with the mirror villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not to say that there were not good stories, but I, it was just a bit overwhelming. And I feel like with with Rebirth, it's, like I said, it's it's slower, it's not as... You know, you have to buy every single Rebirth book. Uh, you don't have to buy all 52 Rebirth books, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm just appreciative of that. And, and that's not to say that they can't do a big crossover. You know, they they can, and I'll buy it, and I'll read it. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's just they've done it right this time. They've started with a good foundation, and now... You know they're putting up the walls and stuff, so yep. I think it's a great, great start to the uh, rebirth. Yeah, they're in a real good place right now. Like you said, setting. I mean, the big events coming this year with Doomsday Clock, and they laid that yeah. foundation really well to have me super excited for it. So, yeah, it's going to be awesome. But to go over, I guess, some of my favorite books over the year for Rebirth, as there is you know a lot to choose from and. I haven't even read every book books that I know have been good, like Green Arrow I've heard has been good, Teen Titans. So there, I know there's some other good ones out there that I just you know, can't afford to get every book. So, <laughs> But the ones that have been my favorite over the year, uh, first up, um, it's going to be Detective Comics. And the way that started off, the whole revamp of the new team dynamic was good. It was interesting to when we heard about it like how is this going to work it, but man it delivered james tinian did a great job with that new status quo of that that team the character dynamic was great the stories were good in the first few arcs that hasn't had a bad story arc yet but the last one with the league of uh, shadows i thought was just wasn't quite up there with the first two but uh, this new one that we'll talk about later <laughs> is shaping up to be pretty good so uh, my only knock on detective i just wish that team with Clayface, Spoiler, Orphan, uh, Red Robin, all, all those characters, they lasted longer. It's like two arcs. And then Tim was gone. Everyone thinks he's dead. Spoiler, left the team. So I just wish that group lasted a little bit longer because Vader is just a really great chemistry with all of them. So that's my only knock on it. But then Wonder Woman, that's been right up there with Detective for me. Greg Rucka did such a great job. Uh, with that story, with both the year one and then with the the lies, the truth, the stuff going on in the current timeline. And his last issue just came out this week, issue 25. I haven't read it yet, but I kind of don't want to because <laughs> that's going to be it for Greg Rekka's run. And I don't want it to end. So he's done a great job with Wonder Woman. Like I said, the perfect 
uh, stories to go read for new Wonder Woman fans after seeing the movie. And then I go with Superman. Superman and action comics have been such breath of fresh air, just what Superman needed. It's been so, so good. They're just books that make you feel good <laughs> after you read them. It just tells great stories. Though. I was talking about the team dynamic with Detective. The family dynamic of the Superman books was a really nice surprise. And I just remember after reading some issues, thinking back to Superman Returns when we found out of uh, he had a son and all that. And not sure how that would be a good idea to throw into Superman stories with a kid, but uh, uh, I don't know how it would have been in a movie, but in comics, it was a stroke of genius because uh, John Kent has been that's a great character, just a new great dynamic for Superman, for the Superman mythos and the relationship for Superman to have, and with him and Lois being his parent, or this is really good. And not to mention when Batman and Damien get involved and they have team ups with <laughs> Clark and John, that just makes for some great, great uh, character moments. So both Superman and Action Comics have been really good, but. I think Superman has just been a little better because it dealt more with the team dynamic. And then I'll, I'll go with Batman, which at first it didn't get off to the greatest start. You know, <laughs> you heard my complaints about some of those early arcs from Tom King with I Am Gotham and especially I Am Suicide did not like that. But boy, Tom King has kicked it into high gear since then with the I Am Bane story arc, the rooftop story with Catwoman and Batman. And now, uh, the whole uh, buttons crossover, which probably has my favorite issue of Rebirth ever, <laughs> uh, when Thomas Wayne and Bruce finally meet. So Tom King's has stepped up his game, and right now I'd say that maybe moved over Detective as my favorite Bat book right now. But this the course the the just flip flopped a little bit. That's happened sometimes with these uh, characters in the books that have multiple titles. But it's just good that you, they none of them dip in quality. But you just some of them just become better than the other, which is pretty cool. And then Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps has been the best uh, Green Lantern comic out there. I mean, there's only two, but it's definitely the one I've stuck with. That has been really good. And then Trinity was a really, really nice surprise by uh, uh, Francis Manipal. Can't believe I <laughs> blinked on his name right there. But his, I mean, his art is fantastic, and he's done some really good stories, especially the first one that delved into the history of Batman, Wonder Woman, and Clark, where they pretty much got to relive, relive their past and, you know, sh- show what drives them and where their mindset is at with, uh, while they're being their char- characters as heroes. So, um, that's been a really nice surprise because I'm going to go into my negatives <laughs> for some DC rebirth books that, you know, weren't quite what I was hoping they would be. And unfortunately didn't stick with them because of that. And, probably none bigger than justice league that didn't get off to a good start i mean the storyline for its first arc didn't seem you know as epic or as grand as scale i think it should have been for a justice league book especially in a relaunch like rebirth and ever since i stick with that first arc and i didn't really enjoy it and then i dropped the book and particularly because trinity (laughs) was so good and that became my justice league book to get so Justice League was a, disappoint- was a disappointment, and then Green Lanterns uh, with Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz as the main Earth Green Lanterns. I stuck with that first arc. Didn't really enjoy it, just their uh, chemistry together. This didn't really work for me, and uh, you know, just for them to be stuck on Earth and left as Earth Green Lanterns. I know how Jordan put him there, and he's probably thinking, you know, there's tons of Earth Green Lanterns, so none of the originals have to be here. <laughs> we'll leave it to the rookies. But I think it would have been cool to have them being mentored by an actual Green Lantern instead of just, you know, 
being mentored by members of the Justice League and being kind of thrown in there because it took Jessica Cruz forever to make a construct in that first arc, which like, well, maybe she had proper Green Lantern training. She could make a construct. So Green Lanterns was a little disappointing. And then Nightwing on the Batman side of things, that was I did not enjoy that first arc at all, and uh, I haven't been keeping up with that title, so uh, I haven't really heard too much if it's gotten better or, or if there's anything really earth-shattering going on in it. Doesn't seem to—I don't seem to hear a lot of people talk about, at least um, the people I follow on Twitter and stuff who are comic fans. So, I'm not sure on Nightwing. I just know I didn't like how that first story arc was played out. Him still kind of being that spy character infiltrating that other court of owls group which uh, i forgot of the name of but you know except this time he's in his nightwing costume but yet he's pretending to be bad and what that's and whatnot so didn't like where they took the direction of nightwing so those are my three disappointments of rebirth but other than that i just loved all the other books i've been getting like i said i've stuck with a lot more than i did for the new 52 and i'm just really happy that you know, I'm invested in the characters I want to be invested in in the DC universe, pretty much all their heavy hitters. And I know there's even some that I'm not reading that are good, which is cool. And hopefully one day I will be able to. But yeah, for the books I've stuck with and just overall in general, Rebirth, I'd say knocked it out of the park. Uh, for me, um, probably uh, Detective Comics. Because I mean, it's 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 just been the the best book, right? I've uh, I've read. Um, I, I I guess Batman would be the second one. Um, Not Wonder Woman. I know you really loved Wonder oh, Woman too. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. Yeah, <laughs> Wonder Woman is uh, the best book of relaunch. Uh, it's above Detective Batman um, for me. Um, probably biggest disappointment unfortunately, is Batwoman. Again, I had high hopes for this one. Uh, the creative team looked really good. Did it start off pretty good? Well, I remember the one you were telling me about was kind of like a recap type issue where yeah. you said it was okay, but I guess it didn't really pick up after that. Yeah, because they, they were kind of going over what happened to Kate, right? Mm. But as for the actual story it just kind of it's not what I want from a a Batwoman book it's too how do I say it um it's too it's too regular (laughs) (laughs) it's too much like a Batman book whereas you know if you look at the the Greg Rucka J.H. Uh, Williams, uh, Hayden Blackman uh, runs on Batwoman. It's it's so much more than just a regular storyline. There's there's a lot more going on than just okay. Kate has to take out the bad guy now, and they they show how she does that. Um, it's it's about way more than that. Um, and I feel like this Batwoman run doesn't really have it. Maybe they maybe they will figure it out and and then I'll read it and then I'll like it. But uh, as for right now, that that's probably going to be my biggest letdown because I had so much <laughs> anticipation. I guess you could say. Uh, like you're that, still waiting for the successors to J. H. Williams and you know Rucka and Hayden Blackman's run. You're still yeah. waiting for that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like if you liked. Uh, the original trilogy, right? 
but then you didn't like the prequels. It's I'm waiting for the new uh, sequels. I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for episode seven, eight, and nine. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of in that sort of mode right now, where I'm just hoping that'll get better. But uh, as for me, it's not really for me right now. One of these days, Dane, you'll get your Batwoman back. <laughs> I, know. I, I I will get you, my episode seven. Well, you did have a Detective Comics, which is I think handled Batwoman pretty well. So you got yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and and Wonder Woman, I guess. Hopefully, the whoever's taking over on that book does a really good job. Yeah, they got some big shoes to fill <laughs> with how good Greg Recco's run was. So. <laughs> Yeah, so those are our favorite books, but took it to Twitter to see what some of you guys thought of or what some of your favorite Rebirth books were and got a couple of responses. First from Mark Tiberius Lem- Lemke, of course, the <laughs> name of the of the show's after. So yeah. he says, Batman, Superman, Action Comics, Wonder Woman, Detective Comics, Trinity, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, All-Star Batman, and The Flats. So his was pretty similar to mine. I think I'm pretty much reading all those books. So <laughs> you and me, Mark, are on the same page as far as our favorite Rebirth titles have been. And then we got one a response from Glenn at the Glenn Clark. He says, action, Superman, Batman, detective, how Jordan, Teen Titans, Flash, and Batman Beyond. Yeah, I know I've heard Teen Titans has been good. They just had the whole uh, Lazarus contract, which is kind of the sequel to the Judas contract story, which I wanted to check out. So eventually, that's the book I want to start reading. And Batman Beyond, yeah, I mentioned that earlier, how I'm a little behind on it. There's just something about Batman Beyond comics. This has happened a few times now, where when it's not set in the animated universe continuity, there's just something about it that's not as special or as good to me as it is when it's set in that world. Because when they do different versions of characters that you know about like for instance in the rebirth launch what how they handled the joker in his supposedly uh, final battle with batman was nowhere near as good as what they did in the animated series with return of the joker so little stuff like that that kind of takes away from stuff that i really love about batman beyond that doesn't translate when it's not in the animated universe continuity but they do have some good stories and moments in there so i'm not gonna say it's all bad it just never quite reaches that level that i love about the animated series one so i'm eventually going to catch up on it don't want to totally just write it off yet because it has been a solid story the first arc you know the whole reveal about <laughs> bruce wayne being alive and how was being just like masqueraded as the joker as that that was a shocker and <laughs> it made for a good twist so there's been some good stuff in batman beyond so yeah i guess that wraps up our state of the union on <laughs> rebirth one year later what we thought about it and thank you uh, to those who responded on Twitter, like Mark and Glenn did. So glad everyone, or for the most part, it seems everyone's enjoying Rebirth. And this hopefully continues for a long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess just to wrap things up, I guess my final thoughts on uh, Rebirth so far is that it's not flashy. It's not, you know, it's it, it's not on uh, comic book resources every day. And it probably shouldn't be if you're going to relaunch a book. I mean, re- relaunch your uh, your entire line of books. It's not flashy, but it's really, really good. I think that's that's the kind of feeling that I get from it right now. Mm. So, um, yeah, I guess we can move on to news now. 
Um, well, we got some good news. The <laughs> <laughs> um, first piece of news is that uh, Mask of the Phantasm, Tim, is coming to Blu-ray. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally, finally. <laughs> Man, but you know how long I've been waiting for something of Batman the Animated Series to be on Blu-ray. Yeah. Finally, we're getting it. Jesus. <laughs> I see. I was hoping that the since this is the 25th anniversary of uh, Batman the Animated Series, that we'd get that released on Blu-ray. Then Master of the Phantasm uh, next year would be a 25th anniversary. But you know what? I'm going to take it. It's something in the animated series universe that's going to be in high definition. And this is a remaster, too, which I'm really excited about. You know, they're not just sticking the original copy on a Blu-ray disc and not really uh, enhancing it at all. Nope. It's a full 1080p HD remaster that's going to be presented in both uh, the 4 by 3 aspect ratio and then the original theatrical 16 by 9 aspect ratio. So it's good to have both options. I don't believe that was on the DVD and DTS HD Master Audio, so it's you know going to be what you expect from a Blu-ray disc. And they didn't really say anything about new special features, which you know I guess is kind of a bummer. But I'm just super super happy to get this movie in HD remaster. It's going to look gorgeous, and I cannot wait for it. And it comes out uh, as we're recording this episode on July 1st, later this month. So I believe it's the 25th. So we don't have wait that much long to wait, and I have my order or a copy pre-ordered already and I'm just going to wait for it to be delivered and pop it in and be and bask in the glorious HD of Batman the Animated Series. I cannot wait. You and those special features, Tim. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess it, you know, it, it, it should have some special features, like a, maybe like a retrospective or something. Yeah, that'd be really um, cool. Even a commentary. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing about commentaries and, I mean, th- this is no you know, uh, criticism of the movie or, um, the director, but I recently tried to, uh, listen to the Logan, uh, commentary from uh-huh. James Mangold and yeah, I just couldn't get into it. It was, um, yeah, I think it is true where it probably depends on the director, you know, and how well they can carry a commentary, but just listening to some of the episodes on the Batman the Animated Series DVDs yeah. that have commentaries from Bruce Tim and Paul Dini, they know how to do commentaries. So oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take okay. any commentaries they give. <laughs> Especially uh, check out the one they did for uh, the episode Critters of the new Batman Adventures, which is they did a commentary for that episode because they knew that's one of the worst ones that fans <laughs> uh, think of when they think of worst episodes of the animated series. So they say, hey, let's do a commentary for one of the worst episodes instead of one of the best. And it ended up being one of the most entertaining commentaries they've done. So, <laughs> Oh, they only do some some episodes? Yeah, they just usually oh. pick out the best in each box set and do those ones. Man, if they did every episode, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, our next piece of news is that Matt Reeves... Uh, is going to be making a more noir. <laughs> I have problems with this word, Tim. <laughs> noir, noir-driven noir, uh, detective version of Batman that is point of view driven in a very, very powerful way that will hopefully connect you to what's going on inside of his head. Yeah, now I know we don't normally have quotes from directors about yeah. movies as news items, but. This one stood out to me for a few reasons. First off, because 
Uh, we're all excited about Matt Reeves doing the next Batman movie. And geez, I can only speak for uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but War of the Planet of the Apes is getting really, really good reviews, which just you know makes me so glad that he's delivered on two Apes movies and now he's going to be doing a Batman film, which you know just makes you more excited for that. But you know, this is the first time he's kind of talking about what this movie could be, and all we've heard about the Batman movie was rumors and rumors. You know, we've heard stuff how oh, it's going to include every Batman villain to have it be the ultimate Batman movie and all that, but it doesn't sound like uh, Matt Reeves is going to take it in that direction. You know, I love how he's describing it as a detective uh, version of Batman, which we've gotten aspects of in certain Batman movies, but never really was the focus on it, which I think if it was for a film, it would be really, really cool. And even having that noir style to it, I think would be great. And how he describes getting in Batman's head. I mean, I, those make for some great Batman stories when you can get inside his head and what drives him and, you know, how he thinks about certain aspects and whatever the threat's going to be that makes him, you know, have that feel that like he described here, Matt Reeves, about being in his head. That's going to be awesome. And it takes me back to what I've hoped for. And we had an episode about how I think the Court of Owls should be the main <laughs> village of a new Batman movie. And, you know, that really got into Batman's head during Scott Snyder's story arc. I just, I couldn't help but think of that when he said, you know, hopefully you'll connect to what's going on inside of his head. It made me think of, you know, how, how he was thinking where his head was at during the court of Owl storyline. So I don't know if he'll go that route, but that's what it made me think of when I heard it. But it just made me excited about this is the way he's taking, uh, his Batman movie and which he should be starting pretty soon now, (laughs) now that war of the planet of the apes is done. So yeah, I can't wait. And this, his quotes have me excited. And that, that War of the Planet of the Apes looks really good. It really, really does, yeah. <laughs> it's getting and good it's reviews? Be, yeah, it's getting really yeah. great reviews. Good, it's not good. out for another two weeks because you got Spider-Man coming out this coming yeah. week, which looks awesome and is getting good reviews. And then after that, you get War of the Planet of the Apes. So we <laughs> two weeks in a row of movies I cannot wait to see that are getting pretty good buzz around them. So that's going to be his last then, uh, Matt Reeves. Yeah, well, oh. at least for right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> batman and then that's the thing i'm curious if he's worked out a deal with warner brothers for just one batman movie or is it a trilogy too i don't know so yeah that, that's kind of the, the um thing that's going on with uh patty jenkins now is yeah is, is she gonna direct the sequel to wonder woman i think not? she is i think it's just you know not a done deal where they reached an agreement and signed a, a deal or a contract or whatever but yeah. i think it's gonna happen yeah, because I mean, she did, she did such a great job with Wonder Woman, and Warner Brothers would be fools to let her <laughs> walk yeah, away. And not do uh, a I was about to say, why change things up? Because that's exactly, the, yeah. it's the best DCEU movie. Um, if anything, they should be trying to get her not only to do Wonder Woman movies, but other DC movies too. Yeah, yeah and you know what I was thinking? Since um, Zack Snyder is kind of taking a step back because of uh, his his thing. Um, what if Patty Jenkins took over the whole DCEU? Yeah, you know what? I don't think... Would you be all right be, with that? Yeah, I don't think that'd be a bad thing at all. I mean, yeah. just basing off Wonder Woman. Heck, I mean, we know Josh Whedon's kind of finishing up Justice League. He's going to do Batgirl. But how yeah. about Patty Jenkins for the Justice League sequel? Right, <laughs> right. I'd, I'd be totally on board if they went that route. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, let's... Take it one movie at a time, but Warner Brothers, you know, just do what you can to make Patty Jenkins happy. <laughs> yeah, and man, I'm I'm going to see 
uh, War of the Planet of the Apes on Friday. So yeah, no. on I'll probably Friday. be going to a, a Thursday night showing for that. <laughs> <laughs> All those movies have been good. Yeah, uh, that's my plan for next weekend. Watch, rewatch the first two to get ready for the third one. <laughs> Um, and then maybe after the third one, after I see that, and depending how it ends, I'm curious how it's going to end. If it's going to, you know, really lead into the classic movies with Charlton Heston, is it yeah. going to set the stage for that? I'm really curious to see how this is going to end because it feels like it's going to wrap up the trilogy and Caesar's story. But will they leave a door open to continue continue stuff with Caesar, or it's going to end and like you know what happens next is the classic movie? So yeah, I can't wait to find that out and see how they wrap it up. Yeah, that's what I was going to um, say is that I hope they don't because, um, I don't know, I, I I just don't want it to be tied to that, um, you know, that I guess the beginning of the Char- Charlton Heston movies. Um, you see, I you hope know, there is a then, little connection to it where it sets up a little something for it. Yeah, but I, I mean, if you look at uh, the last uh, Apes movie... It's the, the the apes themselves are so far from what they look like in that movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think they. It's definitely a very very long time gap. Yeah. Till we get to the Charlton Heston movies, but I'm thinking like maybe if they like an end credit scene or something where it does fast forward to the way future and you see the apes, maybe not even the same characters like Cornelius, but just a random ape in those same outfits or something like that. You see the same structure of their city they were in. Just something to give you a little tease. I think would be pretty cool. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, now we, now we can get into our listener feedback. Um, and Jordan sent in an email. So Tim, do you want to read it? Yep. Jordan says, Hey Tim and Dane and Alex, I was pretty surprised by the news that Danny Elfman is now scoring justice league. But it was a pleasant surprise. Now, I really like Junk, Junkie XL's work on Batman v Superman, although I still can't totally figure out what was his music and what was Hans Zimmer's, but I enjoy the entire score, so that must mean that I like Junkie XL's portion. But if they're going to bring in somebody else, Elfman is about as good as it gets. My question initially was whether Elfman would be adding on to what Junkie XL had already started doing or whether he'd be starting from scratch. Due to Junkie XL saying that he'd been replaced, my guess is now the latter. In any case, I'm really eager to hear what Elfman has in store. I wonder if he'll incorporate the themes he's already done for Batman and or The Flash into the score. You know, I forgot he did The Flash TV show. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember the theme for that, but now it makes me want to check it out to see if it's something catchy and memorable that fits The Flash. Because I don't remember what his score sounded like for that. But it's cool that he did it. Um, I wouldn't mind if he did. The Flash doesn't have a theme in the DCEU yet. While Batman does have one, and I like it, so I wouldn't want it done away with, I think it would be really cool if Elfman mixed in his previous Batman theme with the one from Batman v Superman. I don't want him to completely do away with any of the already established character themes from previous DCEU films. I like all three of the Trinity's DCEU themes, and the Superman one is especially incredible. Yeah, I agree. Superman and Wonder Woman's themes are perfect. Batman's is good, but I wouldn't mind if it is redone a little bit. And I think you have a good idea, Jordan, where if he mixes in maybe his classic Batman theme with the theme he had from Batman v Superman, that could be pretty cool and interesting. So we'll see what they do with that. But I agree, yeah, just kind of leave the themes already established in there. And he continues saying, Tim, I'm glad to hear you are continuing to enjoy your Teen Titans binge watch. 
Nevermore and Switch are both really good episodes. As you progress, you'll notice that each season focuses on a different team member. Season 4 is the one that focuses on Raven, but it's in the Season 1 episode Nevermore that you really get the first taste of what's to come with both Raven and Trigun in Season 4. Any update on your progress since the last episode? Yeah, I've actually watched two more since um, our last podcast. And again, I know it's a slow pace, but (laughs) I'm just busy with other stuff and try to watch it when I can. But I did watch the one where they team up with Aqualad and Beast Boy and him have that little rivalry, which is a fun episode. But the one after that was really good. I believe it was called Mass. That's the one where Robin uh, pretends to be uh, that villain who's trying to get in with Slade and stealing him those microchips from him. Then the Titans find out, you know, they were actually been fighting Robin this whole time. What was this character's name? It was like Mr. X, something like that. Uh, but it was a cool costume. I really liked it. And I remember seeing aspects of that character before, just like casually when Teen Titans would come on sometimes. So I remember that costume. And uh, as I was watching it, uh, you know, it didn't catch me by surprise that it was Robin. Kind of realized that and just remembering back when it was first airing, knowing about how Robin did do that at one point. But it was still a really cool episode and just, um, you know, playing up to Robin, really wanting to find out who Slade is. And I just like how Robin is pretty much being Batman <laughs> in the episode and just that storyline where he's obsessed with trying to figure out who Slade is and just burying himself in the detective work and trying to figure it out. And his determination for that was very Batman-esque. So I thought that was cool. But uh, Jordan continues saying, I have actually been doing some Teen Titans binging myself, but on the comic side, I read the Teen Titans, the Judas Contract, and I caught up on Teen Titans Rebirth. I was hoping to read the Judas Contract prior to the film coming out, but I didn't get a chance. So I finally got around to it now, and I loved it. It focuses a lot more on Deathstroke than the movie does and tells his origin story, which I really enjoyed. As for Teen Titans Rebirth, I loved it too. Benjamin Percy's Green Arrow has been my second favorite Rebirth title, so I had high hopes that his work on Teen Titans would be stellar as well. And to quote the Joker, it didn't disappoint. There's some great stuff with Robin and the League of Assassins in the first arc. The most recent arc was Lazarus' contract crossed over with the Teen Titan, with Titans and Deathstroke, which is essentially a sequel to the Judas contract. I thought that was good too, although it doesn't quite live up to its predecessor. Yeah, Judas' contract really good as i talked about a few episodes ago the way it handled Deathstroke and his origin story was so so good and i hope we see that turn into a movie one day if they plan to use Deathstroke, because that's where you got to base it off on because it was such a good story and he continues saying i've also continued my uh smallville binge watch and i'm elated to say that i continue to love this show i'm about halfway through the third season now and it continues to be awesome spoilers you mentioned the episode that christopher reeve was in which was indeed amazing. I love that they used the John Williams theme when he showed up and that he was the one who finally told Clark about where he's from. It felt like a passing of the torch, if you will. There was some really interesting stuff towards the end of season two involving Lex and his fiance, Helene. I totally didn't see your betrayal coming. That was shocking. My two favorite episodes of the entire series so far have been Accelerate and Calling. The uh, Antipenultimate and penultimate episodes of season two, respectively. Accelerate is the episode where Lana thinks she's being haunted by a ghost of her friend who passed away. And she and Clark. <laughs> oh, that sounds funny. Yeah. She, she thinks she's being haunted by. Yeah, it's like a, ghost? a little girl who's like come back and she's still the same age while Lana is a teenager. So it was kind of weird, oh. but it ends up just being the machinations of Lionel Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Uh, 
Yeah, he goes, she and Clark came up to get to the bottom of it. It's really a creepy episode, and it shows how evil Lionel Luthor is, although he gets even worse in season three. There's also a ton of great uh, Klana moments in it, which then lead into calling. That's the episode where Clark and Lana finally get together and kiss for the first time, other than when she was under the influence of the Nicodemus flower, or he was under the influence of red kryptonite. When so, she brings so where's that, the birthday um, cake. Where, where's that... Uh... Uh, is it a bracelet or a necklace of kryptonite? Mm. Where's and that? I know she, she doesn't wear it all. She wears a lot in season one, but oh. she, she thinks she puts it away somewhere. Or Does she lose it? I don't remember. You have to fill us in, Jordan, as you're <laughs> rewatching it. It's been over 10 years since I've seen those episodes. So. She just <laughs> puts it away. I might have to my memory on that one. <laughs> I like that. She just puts it away. <laughs> she puts it uh, in her jewelry box. And then, oh, we can be together now. I'm pretty sure she did that sometimes, but I don't know if that's the actual thing that happened where she doesn't wear it for a while, if she actually lost it. That's, I don't remember. Oh, I see. <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, they made me wait 43 episodes for them to finally get together, but they paid it off with such a sweet, romantic episode. I was so happy watching that episode. I'm willing to call it right now. It's my favorite single episode of any live-action DC TV show. Wow. <laughs> that's, that is high praise there, but... Um, just wait, even in Smallville, I think you're going to get some more geek out moments and surprising episodes than that. Just wait, Jordan, better stuff's to come, (laughs) at least in my opinion. Um, but it says, and then, well, everything went south the next episode. Actually, that's putting it lightly. When Clark put on the red kryptonite ring and left Lana to go to Metropolis after what happened to his family, I was furious. You know the scene in Batman Returns where pe- where Batman stops the Penguin from controlling the Batmobile, and then the Penguin has his rage fit in his trailer? Yeah, the Penguin in that scene was pretty much me watching that episode. Uh, that's a sight to behold if you got that mad, as <laughs> Penguin did. But I will say I really like that season finale for season two. Clark feeling guilty that uh, he caused um, his mother to lose the baby she was going to have. And then he just, you know, felt so bad and guilty about it. He put on the red kryptonite because he doesn't want to be himself anymore and he leaves for Metropolis. But I remember at the time being a good cliffhanger finale. And when season three started with this premiere, it was a pretty cool episode seeing like evil Clark. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's right. Uh, Jonathan kind of makes a deal with uh, Jor-El to give him superpowers for a limited time to just to take Clark down and bring him back and get that red kryptonite off of him, which has effects uh, on Jonathan Kent later on throughout the course of a few seasons. So you're going to have some more good stuff when it comes to that storyline, Jordan. Um, but he continues saying, I waited 43 episodes uh, for Clark and Lana to finally kiss and be happy together. And then ends after one episode. Sigh. <laughs> All right. Well, now that I've got my ranting out of the way, if I keep going, I might have a penguin rage fit again. <laughs> Let me get on to the other stuff I love about the show because I really do love it. If I didn't love the show, then it wouldn't make me so mad when Clark and Lana aren't together because it wouldn't matter too much to me or so much to me. It seems like Clark and Lana's relationship is both my favorite and least favorite thing about it, about the show, LOL. The first two episodes of season three were pretty hard to watch given that Clark had abandoned Lana. However, Tom Welling always does an amazing job of playing Clark when he's on Red Kryptonite. Also, uh, Rutger Hayer of Batman Begins fame, I believe he played uh, Mr. Earl (laughs) the Wayne Enterprise board or oh, CEO at the time. Uh, Rutger Hauer. Okay, I call him Rutger. Yeah, yeah Rutger. <laughs> it looks like it's spelled Rutger, but I haven't heard it pronounced, so I'm yeah. sure <laughs> I said it the wrong way. 
he was in those episodes, which was cool. When Lex was stranded on that island, I kept waiting for Justin Hartley to show up as Oliver Queen. And that is something I totally forgot about. <laughs> Lex being on an island, I don't remember that at all. Uh, but when Lex gets back, here's what I was talking about, about how much more evil Lionel gets. I couldn't believe it when I found out he had drugged Lex and put him in Belle Reeve Sanitarium. Oh, yeah, we got Belle Reeve now. That was crazy that he'd do that to his own son. Michael Rosenbaum continues to kill at his Lex, and he did a great job playing a different side of Lex when he was being drugged. I also really like seeing Perry White. It was so cool to see a character who will be a huge part of Clark's life in the future, uh, in the future, meet him for the first time. Yeah, I remember that being a really good episode. Cool to see Perry White on there. And the only big downside of season three for me so far has been seeing Clark and Lana with other people. Lana's been with this guy, Adam. <laughs> oh, Adam. Do you remember that character, Dane? <laughs> Who's that? The one that, I don't know if you had this feel, Jordan, but everybody who was watching it at the time think that was their way of trying to get Bruce Wayne in the show. Really? Yeah, this mysterious character. <laughs> uh, and I think the, actually, the plan was for him to be Bruce, but they couldn't do it. And they just created this new character whose story got weird. I think now I don't want to spoil it for Jordan, but it didn't pan out the way a lot of fans were hoping for. But that was supposed to be the Bruce Wayne character. <laughs> How come they just couldn't put Bruce Wayne in there? I know that was the period where you know, especially DC, they don't want what Batman Begins coming up. They didn't want to have two Batmans in one thing. It'd be too oh. confusing for people. You know, this is this is a Superman show. Let's leave it for him. So it was just yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. 10 years I was waiting for Batman to put you on there and this is the closest we've got <laughs> with that character uh, but Jordy continues saying I just watched an episode where Clark was with this insane girl who could teleport but thankfully that seems to be over too so they, can they please get back together now anyway I'll keep you guys posted as I continue my binge watch I'm addicted to the show it's incredible well I will give you a little tease Jordan for season 6 down the line I'll be very very curious to see how you're feeling about the whole clark and lana relationship when it gets to that point because it changes in a huge way <laughs> and i'm just curious to see what you think about it and that's all i'll say season six i believe that's when it happens so i'll know when you're uh, when you mention it when you get there um but he continues saying i thought dark days the forge was awesome um while it left me with a lot of questions i think that was the point it's setting up the mysteries of dark knight's metal it was exciting to see so many heroes play into the story Aquaman, Hawkman, Mr. Miracle, Green Lantern, Mr. Terrific, and Superman. My favorite part was Duke and Green Lantern walking through the secret tunnel in the Batcave. That was so suspenseful. At first, I couldn't figure out who the voice, uh, who the voice was talking to them. But once Dionysium came up, I had a feeling it was the Joker. Even so, the final page revealing him was so thrilling. I have no idea what he's doing there, but I can't wait to find out. I thought Batman 25 was really good but I don't think it was one of the strongest issues of Tom King's run so far. Of course, that's coming from someone who's loved pretty much the entire run, so to say it's not the strongest still means I think very highly of it. Spoilers, the issue does a good job of setting up the war between the Joker and the Riddler. I'd be really eager to read Tom, or read King's take on the clown pits of crime, and although he's more subdued than usual in this issue, his unpredictability and insanity are nonetheless on full display. The scene where you see all the comedians he's killed just for being unable to make him laugh was pretty terrifying. As you might be able to guess, though, my favorite part of the issue was the ending with Bruce and Selena. While it doesn't quite confirm that she said yes to his proposal last issue, it certainly implies that she did. I expected to have to wait eight issues to find out her response, but it looks like we may now know. 
Of course, I'm thrilled about it. I couldn't be more excited about them. It's also great that Selina is who Bruce is finally revealing the story to. In Batman 15, Batman said that Catwoman is the only person who truly understands him. It makes sense for her to be the first person that he tells about what led to the dirt or what he had to do during this war. I'm very excited to find out exactly what the secret is regarding what he did. It reminds me a lot of the secret of what Batman did involving Mother and Batman and Robin Eternal. I guess the reason I don't hold this issue in quite as high as regard as some of the other ones from King's Run is that it doesn't focus that much on Batman. Although he narrates it, it's not in it, he's not in it much. One of my favorite things about King's Run has been how well he explores the psychology of Batman and shows him as a very human and vulnerable and why and we didn't get as that and we didn't get that as much in this issue until the very end, which as I said is my favorite part. Now that's problems now that's a problem it was trying to set up the conflict between the Joker and the Riddler. That's fine. I have a feeling the next issue will be amazing. Other things making this issue not quite as good for me are that it's following Batman 24, which is my second favorite issue of King's entire run. How do you top Batman proposing to Catwoman? It'd be really hard to do in the eyes of the Batcat shipper. Also, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Michael uh, Johnning's art. I'm probably saying his last name wrong, too. but <laughs> uh, His style just isn't my favorite. Anyway... Like I said, with issue 25 wasn't one of my favorites of King's Run, I did really enjoy it. It gave us an amazing Bat-Cat scene, and it does a good job of setting up the conflict of this arc, leading me to believe we're in for some wonderful issues in the near future. Regarding Gotham, I have similar feelings as Tim does. I really like the show, but from time to time it does irk me that a huge chunk of Batman's rose gallery is already running around wreaking havoc on the city. What I tell myself is that it's just basically an Elseworld origin for Batman, that I'm able to accept it more. Tim's right. The Bruce and Alfred dynamic in it is great. I also love the dynamic between Bruce and Selina in the show. Some of the villains that have they have are amazing versions of them. Corey Michael Smith is a live-action Riddler I've always wanted, and Cameron Monaghan is unbelievable as Jerome. Season 1 is actually my favorite season of Gotham, though. In Season 1, we got a lot more of the GCPD stuff with Gordon and Bullock, and also a lot of stuff involving organized crime in Gotham City. It does feel like the show started out as a police procedural, which is what I preferred, but then they decided to change it and focus more on Bruce and the villains. Now, that's exactly why I have two minds about the shift. As I just said, some of my favorite aspects of the show are Bruce and the villains. However, I did love the, pre- the police procedural stuff, and it does feel too early for said villains to be running around and for Bruce to be delivering vigilante justice. Like I said, though, the performances are so good that at a certain point, I just decided to roll with it. And as a result, I really enjoy the soul. Yeah, that's sometimes what you got to do with Gotham. Just roll with it. <laughs> and you got you definitely got to have the Elseworld mindset or else it'll just drive you insane. <laughs> but I will say season one's actually probably my least favorite. Uh, season two and three I felt have been better, even though there's plenty of stuff in there that irked me, like you said, about bringing in villains too soon. But I think the stories they were telling in season two and three have been a little stronger than season one. But uh, he continues with some a couple of questions he goes who would be your pick for the villain of the green lantern Corps movie i was thinking about this recently and i have a lot of mixed feelings about it i know i'm in the minority here but i really like the 2011 green lantern movie well you and me are both in that minority i know it has tons of flaws it's not the green lantern movie i really wanted but i could still watch it and enjoy it too jordan so you're not alone one of my favorite things about it was mark strong as sinestro I thought it was great how they set him up in the first film as a Green Lantern and then teased him as a villain for a sequel. Sinestro is very much the two-face of the Green Lantern mythology. He's the hero who turns bad, 
in order to do a story like that, you need to make the audience or reader love said character as a hero, so they are sad when the character falls. Batman Forever messed that up with Two-Face. The Dark Knight got it right. With Sinestro, I truly feel that they understood that when making the 2011 Green Lantern movie, and I think that seeing him as the villain of the sequel would have been immensely satisfying. Unfortunately, the first film wasn't successful enough to earn a sequel. It still frustrates me six years later that we missed out on that. So my first temptation for the Green Lantern Corps movie is for Sinestro to be the villain. I want that Green Lantern versus Sinestro movie. However, then I remind myself to think logically and remember that this is a new continuity, so we wouldn't have the history with this new version of Sinestro to make that work as it should. So part of me thinks they should use a different villain in the first Green Lantern Corps movie, but include Sinestro as a Green Lantern to set him up for the sequel. Atrocitus and the Red Lantern Corps would be a great choice for villains of the first film. I love what they did with them in the Green Lantern the Animated Series, although Dexstar wasn't in that, so I'd hope he'd be in the movie. Yeah, if Atrocitus is in there, Dexstar has to be in the movie. It's just a requirement. <laughs> I agree, Jordan. I just worry about this film not being successful enough to warrant a sequel either. And then we'd have two movies with a Sinestro as a Green Lantern that both set him up to be a future villain with not being paid off in either case. However, I do have an alternative that could solve this conundrum. Here's my plan. The Justice League movie that comes out this year could end with a post-credit stinger of Avan Sur crashing on Earth. Then in the Justice League sequel, two Green Lanterns join the team. There is precedent for there to be two Green Lanterns on the Justice League in the comics, since both Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz are on it in Rebirth right now. However, here's the twist. The two Green Lanterns are Hal Jordan and Sinestro. In the DCEU, Korrigar would be part of Sector 2814. There were two Green Lanterns of Sector 2814 initially, Sinestro and Abin Sur. When Abin Sur died, Hal Jordan replaced him, so now Hal Jordan and Sinestro are both Green Lanterns of Sector 2814 and join the Justice League. In Justice League 2, we get to know Sinestro as a hero as part of the Justice League. Then at the end of that movie, we get a tease of Sinestro going rogue and becoming a Yellow Lantern, much like at the end of the 2011 movie. In the Green Lantern Corps, Sinestro has been replaced as the second Green Lantern in Sector 2814, and now Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart, who are rumored to be the main characters of that movie, are the Green Lanterns of that sector. So the movie then becomes Hal Jordan versus Sinestro. And if it's successful enough for a sequel, they could either do Atrocitus and the Red Lantern Corps, or maybe the Star Sapphires as the villains. The other option is, of course, to just have Sinestro as a Green Lantern in Green Lantern Corps, and remain hopeful that it will warrant a sequel that has Sinestro as a villain. In any case, Green Lantern Corps is one of the DCEU movies I'm most looking forward to, and I'm eager to see what they do. I'm right there with you, Jordan, as the Green Lantern Corps being my most anticipated DCEU movie. Um, they, just, they just have to get that right this time. And I'm on the mindset of just make Sinestro the villain for Green Lantern Corps. There's ways to go about it where, you know, you can establish how he fell from being a, a Green Lantern, but still having to be the Green Lant- the villain of the movie. Because like you said, I would hate it for them to miss another opportunity and not have a Hal Jordan Sinestro confrontation that all Green Lantern fans are just dying to see. So I'd hopefully actually go that route where he's just a villain and maybe whether it's flashback or through some exposition or later explaining a sequel. I mean, if it's successful enough, we can get a Sinestro uh, movie on its own. I mean, there's that possibility if it's super popular and successful. But I actually think, or at least how I think it's going to go down, is that Hal Jordan has been in the Green Lantern for a while. Like, even during Man of Steel, in that era, he just hasn't been on Earth. He's been training, maybe going to other planets. And by the time we get to the Green Lantern Corps movie, He's going to be the veteran, and then uh, John Stewart might be the rookie. That's how I see things playing out. I think that could be pretty cool. So, 
yeah, I'm hoping for Sinestro, but if not him, I think Atrocitus would be a great pick. I know you're not a big Green Lantern reader <laughs> or familiar with the franchise, Dane, but what do you think about having Sinestro be the main villain? It's like I just think it's it's logical, and like Jordan said, you just cannot miss that opportunity again. Um, no, not Sinestro, <laughs> because I want to see. Um, isn't there a hippopotamus that's also a Green Lantern? A uh, Kilowog. Yeah, Kilowog. Yeah, he's not a technically hippopotamus, but I know what you mean. But yeah. he's a good guy, so he's not a villain. Yeah, but they can make him into a bad guy. That would make a lot of fans upset. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'd want to see that. I'd want to see that, Tim. So Dane wants the movie of Kilowog going bad instead of Sinestro. Yeah. Well, that would be really different. <laughs> <laughs> but Jordan's second question is, how would you rank the four issues of The Dark Knight Returns? I was recently rewatching the animated movie, and I started thinking about this. For me, it's number four, book two. To me, the fight against the mutant leader is, isn't exciting as the fight versus the Joker or Superman. Number three, book one. The Two-Face stuff is good, but he's the least fleshed-out villain of the comic, since this issue focuses mostly on Batman's triumphant return. Number two, book four. I have issues with Frank Miller's Superman, but the fight Batman has with him is incredible, and it was awesome to see Batman teaming up with my second favorite hero, Green Arrow. Number one, book three. This is one of my favorite Batman versus Joker stories ever. The way their final confrontation ends is extraordinary. And also, Selina is in this issue. Yeah, mine's going to be pretty similar to yours, Jordan, except I'm going to flip-flop my number four and three pick. Number four is going to be book one with Two-Face. Like I said, it wasn't the most fleshed out, and it was Batman kind of just coming back. So it wasn't, didn't have the most epic moments in it, but it was still cool. And number three, I'm going to go with uh, book two, his fight against the mutant leader. I love that fight and just how Batman goes into their camp with his <laughs> tank Batmobile. And again, going back to the animated series scene, uh, animated like that for the first time made me really like that scene. And then when I read it in the comic, it, how it played out pretty much like it always stuck out to me. So I like his first fight with the mutant leader and then the second one, too. It was pretty cool how Batman <laughs> defeated him. But then number two and number one for me are going to be the same. Book four, because of his uh, fight with Superman, his team up with Green Arrow, like you said, was really good. But book three is my favorite for the reasons you mentioned with the Joker. That's one of the best final Batman-Joker confrontations you're going to get. It was brutal. Joker got his point across. Batman, <laughs> you know, wasn't really a win for Batman. So it was uh, the, one of the best moments of, of the story of The Dark Knight Returns. Is one of the best Batman-Joker moments. So, yeah, I'm in agreement about uh, the top two. My, they're the same as uh, yours are, Jordan. So good question on that too i haven't really thought about that and but it is a good question to have and kind of where those books rank so how about you dane where would you put them um i'm gonna really uh i mean i don't really know the um individual books because i've only read it as a trade okay so i'm gonna agree with you tim because um you are right <laughs> <laughs> yeah those top two i mean those are like iconic moments. So you can't go wrong with the Batman versus Superman fight or the Joker versus Batman fight as one number two because they're both really, really like landmarks in Batman's history. Right. So yeah, that's it for Jordan's email. As always, thanks for sharing your thoughts on everything going on in the Batman world and continuous to continuing to give us your update on your Smallville binge watch. It's like you know I said it before, like us reliving the show again. <laughs> so it's good to hear. Man, I need some more shows, TV shows to watch. Let's go back and watch Smallville. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm waiting for Game of Thrones to start back up, but I mean, even that, it's... 
only going to be seven episodes. <laughs> it's not going to last very long. Yeah, but not only that, it's also the fact that I'm not really into the show anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, because they, they've kind of gotten away from the realistic aspects, and now it's all about magic. You know, the the ice zombie guys, I mean... <laughs> Tino was always building towards that. Though. Yeah, I know, but, like, I mean, that battle scene was really great, but uh, I don't know. It, I just don't like that ice zombie thing where they're okay. trying to, like... The White Walkers. <laughs> yeah. I call them ice zombies because that's... <laughs> that, that's essentially that's what they much, are. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, like, I I can't be the only one that thinks this, but... I think the makeup on there that that king guy um, of the, the of the ice zombies, yeah, mm. I think it looks bad. It doesn't look good. Hmm. Never really stood out to me as looking bad, but you know, again, for a TV budget, I know it's a higher TV budget than yeah. most shows, but you know, it can't be looking exactly like movie quality makeup. But to me, it gets the job done. And plus, too, it seems like they're over-explaining every single thing. You know, it's like 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 Jon Snow coming back. It's like they explain every single thing about that. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean. We see, I'm only coming here from someone who just watched it and caught up with it all last summer. So like, uh, I got to experience all in one city. <laughs> so yeah, but it doesn't, it, out. It, it doesn't feel like they're, you know, explaining every single thing now, nowadays. See, no, I didn't get that aspect mm. from it, but. Yeah, and I also don't like how there's good guys and bad guys now. It seems like uh, you got to have some aspect of that. You always got to have a protagonist. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand that, but I, I liked it better when it was gray. You know, it wasn't Mm-mm. you know so black and white. Where it was, you know, I, these, I got these you guys that. are the good guys and these guys are the bad guys. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I definitely know it has become a little more black and white than where it started off. I will agree yeah, with that. It's like oh, so like the good guys are the Starks. So, uh, we don't like everybody else now because the good guys are the Starks. <laughs> Whereas, like, I don't know, in the past it was more, yeah, you do a good thing, but you also did, like, ten bad things to do that one good thing, you know? And some of the bad characters, they show some redeeming qualities about themselves. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like Littlefinger, right? He He's mm-hmm. sort of in that gray area. Yeah. Where it's, it, it's I mean, he I think he's probably the only character that's there now. Um, where he I would does, say uh, Jamie Lannister too. Oh yeah, Jamie Lannister cool. too. Because, but but like with Littlefinger, he he helps um, Sansa, but then he's also not even not not really on her side. Uh, he's trying to manipulate know? her for himself. Yeah, yeah, and you see that's what I like about the show. Not where everything is you know black and white, where it's a superhero movie, where you're always rooting for Batman. You know, mm. but I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm just but we'll see how this season plays out I think you're going to get some of that but I, I kind of I know what you're saying about the black and white stuff I will agree with you on that it's just yeah. not a, I'm enjoying it but it's not as so, it's more clear cut now than it used to be yeah it's not as interesting to me and it it it, it can also lead to you know like the, the surprises of the show not landing you know mm. kind of like the red wedding right I mean I didn't expect that coming when I first saw that so, yeah, for me, I don't know if I'm really liking uh, Game of Thrones. But you got to finish and watch it now. So yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I've, I've watched, what is it, six seasons? Yeah. Uh-huh. 
of this show. So, I mean, I have to finish it. It's not <laughs> like I could just be like, you know what? I'm done. After, after watching six years of this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, uh, I need some new TV shows. <laughs> you and, gotta get you find some on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, and plus two, one of my favorite shows uh, just ended. Uh, the Leftovers. They they had their their series finale on HBO. So okay, I've, heard, uh, I've never I'm, seen it, but I've heard of the show. How it was pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's not for everybody. I don't recommend it for everybody. Um, if you, if you don't like uh, to think in your TV shows, then definitely don't watch it. Um, I'm not one of those people where it's like you have to watch this show because it's the greatest show in the world I never like saying that because there's a good chance if you hype it up too much the person you tell it to is not going to agree and they might be disappointed with it (laughs) yeah and plus too um, you know with the leftovers um, it's I mean especially that first season it's so so depressing and it it continues throughout the three seasons it's like it's (laughs) so depressing (laughs) <laughs> it's it's kind of like uh i i i know how everybody uh recommends the wire right okay um that's one of my favorite shows you know it's uh, uh that that's one show i'll go back and watch just randomly um you know, speaking of tv shows we didn't talk about it in the news section but uh the story about watchmen being developed for an hbo tv show yeah i don't know if that's gonna work what do you think? out yeah i don't know if that's gonna work out See, I think it could work out, but just the fact that the movie's not even 10 years old yet, to me, yeah. it's like, is it necessary right now? I think if they started off with that, like that was their first time seeing Watchmen on screen, it could have been a really good take. And it still might be really good, but I just think it's, it feels a little too soon. Yeah, you see, to me, that that's one of those things where it should have been a TV show first. Um, I mean, it should have been just a TV show. It shouldn't have been a movie. Um Kind of like Game of Thrones. There's no way you can do that in three yeah. movies, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I, I need a TV show, too. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to look look for one. You know, Leftovers ended. Um, that was my favorite TV show. Yeah, I don't watch very many TV shows other than the superhero ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> and I need something serious and something, you know... Not depressing, like, like the leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you, uh, Jordan, for your email. Uh, we always enjoy reading them. Um, but now we can move on to our comic book reviews. Um, for this episode, we're uh, reviewing Detective Comics number nine fifty nine, Batman number twenty five, also Batman number eleven. And Batman Elmer Fudd number one, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know when I first when I first saw that, I was like, okay, uh, we have officially run out of ideas for comics. <laughs> <laughs> you because, would think. You would think. Yeah, I would think because I saw on Twitter that you said that it was actually really good. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like we say at the at, at the beginning of every single comic book review section, Tim. There's going to be a lot of spoilers in this uh, in this part of the podcast. So if you haven't read your books yet, uh, you might want to put this this part this podcast on pause and then come back to it later. Uh, and our rating scale for this episode is going to be, oh, Tim, what should it be? Yeah, I was thinking something to do with your TV show dilemma or uh, 
something to do with things I forgot on Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the things that are coming to mind. Uh, how about uh, TV shows that Dane has watched that he just couldn't get into? You know why? Because uh, I tried watching that show, American Gods. I know everybody on Twitter is going crazy about it. You know, like, it's, this is the greatest show and yada, yada, yada. Um, I could not get into it at all. Um, I don't know if it was the acting or if it was the writing or if I needed to actually read the, the, the Neil, the, the, the Neil uh, Gaiman book. I just, I just couldn't get into it, Tim. <laughs> and I, it it kind of sucks because, you know, everybody was like super into it, writing on, you know, tweeting that, you know, this is the greatest show on television. This blows Game of Thrones out of the water and, well, I don't know if they said that, but you know, <laughs> that was, was the impression you got. <laughs> yeah, it was like the greatest show, and maybe those people read the book and or read the series of books, and I don't know. It, it just wasn't for me. It, <laughs> it had me lost from the first minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it starts off with like these Viking guys showing up on this island, and I was like, okay, like how does this have to do with with anything? <laughs> because it, it, it flashes forward to the to present time to the main character and it's like oh okay so what was that that I just saw in the beginning you know did I miss some big thing or... <laughs> well you gotta give it time to explain it too but yeah yeah I guess I mean that's but... what that, that's what Game of Thrones did really good I think is they they didn't feel the they, they, they didn't um leave the non-book readers out. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt that they did really good. But as for American Gods, like I try to get into it. It's not for me. <laughs> so I'm still looking for a TV show, Tim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you well in your quest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a rating scale. So uh, Tim, wherever you want to start. All right. Detective Comics 959. So this is the second part of Jim Tinian's uh, next arc that's dealing with uh, Azrael and that robotic uh, new Azrael that's hunting down the old members of Saint Dumas. Uh, so, but this issue, what I really liked about it was pretty much nothing that had to do with that. But we got some flashbacks to Bruce and Zatanna's history, and it opens with that with Bruce and Zatanna in Las Vegas, where it just reminded me of the animated series episode Zatanna, where Bruce goes to her father Zatara to you know learn the trades of being a magician and escape tactics. And I like how they're incorporated that into his training here. Cause you don't get that too much or you don't see that too much in Bruce's history of training in the comics. So I like that it incorporated here. And then Bruce and uh, Zatanna were friends uh, as teenagers or as young adults. But this really reminded me of that uh, relationship they had in Batman, the animated series, which was cool. The only thing I wish they kept was, uh, in the comics, in this issue, Bruce called her Z as her nickname, but in the animated series, he called her Zana. So I thought if they, he would have called her Zana in here, it would have been a nice little nod to the animated series. But it was a nice moment between them as Bruce was trying to figure out uh, a magic trick that he couldn't master. But Zatanna was there to help him. They were talking about how looking over Las Vegas, even as majestic as that city is, Batman says, or Bruce tells her, nothing compared to Gotham City. It kind of makes you feel like no matter what you do, you can't, you know, you, you might not just be good enough for a city that looks like this. So that's where it started. And then we get to the current situation where Zatanna is there to help uh, Bruce who was at the Iceberg Lounge. To, and he finds this member of the Order of St. Tomas who's been attacked by that new uh, robot, which Zatanna and Bruce helped to stop. 
but it turns out uh, he was able to take out the the member of Saint Dumas anyway. But it was a pretty cool action sequence. I just like when first it was just Batman and Zatanna, but then the reinforcements of the Bat team comes in with Clayface, Orphan, and Batwoman, and Batwing, and Azrael. And uh, the robot touched Azrael and kind of messed him up. <laughs> he took him out of the fight pretty quickly, and you know took him before he has to pretty much just go back and meditate for being touched by that robot so that's where the issue i mean it was good but like i said the stuff with bruce and zatanna is what stood out because then they're on a rooftop in gotham kind of playing out what the prologue started out in this issue with them in vegas of kind of them carrying that conversation again about the city and how bruce is you know telling her why he wanted to see her in about you know the reason for looking to her to he said you offered me something and I need to get some answers to some answer, unanswerable questions. And Zatanna's like, oh, so you remember, like, how do you, but, like, no matter, like, he's like, do you know what you're doing? Like, you know this, what might cost you? And Batman's just telling me, I've lost so much already, and I need to make sure that never happens again. And then the issue ends with, uh, like I said, Jean Paul Valley meditating about uh, what just happened and his experience touching that robot and just telling himself, like, you're just, like, you're only a man, you're only a man. My name is Jean Paul Valley. Try not to take let the system take over for him. But then this creature, like this perverse version of Azrael, almost kind of looks like a scarecrow version of Azrael. He's like all decrepit and he has no face or uh, a hood over his face. It's like angel wings. It is like a very dark version of Azrael. And he just says, it's time for Azrael to remember who he truly is. So Jean Paul Valley is going to be going through some stuff and <laughs> some coming upcoming issues here. So yeah, the stuff dealing with uh, the order of St. Dumas and Azrael, it's good, but it's just not the best part of the story, which I think is the Zatanna Batman uh, moments we got here. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five TV shows that Dane is looking to watch and he just can't get into. Then next up will be Batman number 25, which starts the anticipated The War of Jokes and Riddles. And Jordan kind of alluded to it in his email, and I have to agree with him that while it's good, it's, you know, it was a lot of setup, really. This was kind of a slow pace, slow burn read, and is basically setting up how the Joker and the Riddler are going to come to blows with each other, what's setting all that up. And a lot of it is just seeing the Riddler and Joker kill a bunch of different people in different disturbing ways. Like Jordan alluded to, uh, Joker was having these comedians trying to make him laugh. And when they didn't, he'd shoot him. And you see in one panel tons of bodies on the floor. Then you see the Riddler brutally execute a detective as he's being questioned as he makes his escape out of the prison. And then we see you know Joker uh, a bombing a joke factory, killing a police officer and a woman who was standing there. And then he goes to a takes a, a drive from a taxi but that person pretends to laugh at a jokes but joker doesn't think it's funny so he shoots them so yeah a lot of brutal ways of seeing joker and riddler take out the citizens of gotham here just for them to meet and i do like how it's being set up like i said it's good setup but it's just kind of a slow read where riddler explains to joker how you know batman's the only they both need batman for them to be happy but riddler needs to take out Batman to prove that he's smarter than him, that he's, you know, he's because since Batman's the only one who solved his riddles. And, you know, we all know the reason why Joker is obsessed with him. So they're kind of Riddler just laying down what's going to be done. You know, it's just going to come between them two to see who gets to take out Batman. But Joker is not going to have that. He's, he's still not laughing. Like Jordan said, he's very subdued here. Uh, but he just pulls a gun on Riddler and shoots him. But Riddler is able. 
that's one thing that had me a little confused. It seemed like it was part of Riddler's plan because he was able to survive the shot and just able to walk out of it. It kind of led me to believe like he had this plan where he had something in his body to show that he was bleeding out, but it really wasn't. Like Batman narrates, it just says he squeezed it and blood filled his hand. Like alone, he described his wound, and then he says if there were an over as if he were an old sponge like he told them he told me later dripping with water and soap waiting to be wrung so like it kind of says how riddler might have that plan but i don't know it's just weird how it just showed riddler take a gunshot straight to the stomach and walk away so yeah a lot of setup here it was good seeing the joker interact with riddler because riddler made some great points of why they're <laughs> they both at the same time obsessed with batman but can on, only one of them can take him batman out like none of them would have it any other way joker needs that for the greatest joke and laugh and riddler needs it for his greatest challenge so i did like that aspect and the narration of batman on it was pretty good too and like jordan said in his email i was not expecting to see you know uh, back in present day with bruce and selena where um it definitely looks like she said yes <laughs> to batman's proposal and even though they didn't specifically say so and yeah it's cool that bruce is opening himself up to selena and you would think because she said yes is why he's doing that so um, yeah kind of like what jordan said in his email i'm expecting the next part of the story to be even even better really get into the war between the jokes and Rid- the joker and the riddler and see what other villains team up and what sides they take so this one was all set up a little maybe a little too long in certain aspects but again it's, I think it's going to end up being a pretty cool story. So I'm going to give this one three out of five TV shows that Dane is trying to watch but can't get into. And then All-Star Batman number 11. This is continuing or the second part of the ally story that Scott Snyder started in issue 10, which is pretty Alfred-centric, which I really enjoyed that first part. And this one picks up right where that one left off, where Bruce is kind of trapped uh, trying to get that uh, Genesis engine, that weapon that's uh, trying to be sold out to like these uh, pirates, but the first page of it was pretty interesting because, um, again, I just love how the monologue of Alfred here is calling Bruce his son. He just goes, "My son doesn't believe in death. He doesn't," and he even says, "You know, he doesn't believe in death for me either," because he kind of created this um, AI program that's going to continue on with Alfred. It, it reminded me a little of Iron Man and Jarvis <laughs> um, in the MCU version, anyway. Uh, his father's butler, Jarvis, uh, Tony Stark named the pretty much created an ai version of him which we know was in his suit and all that so it reminded me a little bit of that but we might be seeing an ai alfred in the future (laughs) but hopefully we won't see it because alfred's dead (laughs) but yeah we see bruce trying to escape from that um from that old pirate base there and he's on the run and he's able to make a escape out into the ocean but he's trying to alfred's trying to hurry and get there in the boat because uh there's crocodiles in the water as traps for anyone who tries to escape or they need to dump bodies and other crocodiles get them. So Bruce just jumps in. He goes, I can't wait. There's guys on my tail. You're not here. I have to go into the water and take my chances. Then we get a pretty brutal action sequence of Bruce taking on these crocodiles and another animated series reminder here because there's that episode never fear where scarecrow. Uh, it's, this is from the new Batman adventures shoots, batman with that toxin that takes away your fear and batman just goes into this alligator or crocodile pit and just takes him out you even see in the episode like a crocodile plop up over the like his body flipped over and his blood dribbling down and then this reminded me kind of of that of batman doing almost the same thing but he gets some help from an unlikely sources which is the penguin black mass and uh the great white shark who are trying to 
prevent the Genesis engine from being uh, used by anybody. They actually want to destroy it because it can actually create an army for anyone. It can create life, so to speak, but it can be a, a monster version. It's anyways, like some person, any bad person wants an army of monsters, they can do it. So Penguin, Black Mass, and White Shark want to stop that. And they are able, suggesting to help Bruce. I like how they think, they know this is Batman because it's, it is Bruce Wayne. They go, oh, we know it's you, Batman, trying to be disguised as Bruce Wayne, but you're not pulling it off. There's something about the jawline that doesn't look right. Like you and Tommy Elliott can't get the look of Bruce Wayne right. Well, that was funny knowing that they're talking to Batman right there, but yet they don't believe it's him. And then at the very end of the conversation, uh, Bruce tells them, oh, by the way, my Bruce Wayne, it's perfect. <laughs> I thought that was a funny exchange of dialogue. But the good best parts of the issue is getting – the flashback sequences of Alfred in his early days. Um, I guess my only complaint about it, I wish it wasn't just Alfred reminiscing about his time in a fast-paced uh, sequence. I wish the whole issue was just pretty much Alfred getting to explore his history because we just going to see different aspects of his life. But I did like how he was staying during those different times of his life. His father wasn't there and how he was always puzzled why his father is with another family but yet he has one right here that loves him, but he's not there with him. So I just love that dynamic of how, even though Alfred's going to become the butler of the Wayne family, his father was their butler first, and how we kind of resented him for that. And we saw Alfred, you know, doing mission as a as an agent, as a SAS uh, armed forces agent, um, fighting in battles, and it shows sequences of Alfred in action. Then it shows a panel with his dad with the Waynes, seeing Thomas Martha Wayne pregnant with Bruce. And then another panel, we see Alfred's father with the baby Bruce, all paralleling Alfred as he's fighting in action and doing what needs to be done. So I like that uh, aspect of how the comic was laid out, showing going back and forth between what Alfred's doing and what his father was doing with the Waynes. Then it comes to a head where we kind of get a little extended sequence that Alfred has in his past where he gets a knock on his door from someone who makes an offer, and his name's Briar, uh, parallels it himself to you know what Bruce Wayne goes through. And I like how he's comparing himself to Bruce, where they had this moment where they were you know expected to do great things and become something more, and this is what this guy Briar is offering Alfred. And you know, but he's the twist on this one. He even tells calls Alfred, you know, a dark knight of sorts, maybe even a legend. And Alfred's, like, oh, can you can you give me a few minutes to, to explain? Then he goes, sure. I go, sure, but first I need to do something. He pulls a gun, and the next panel you see, blam. It appears that he shoots Alfred either in the head or somewhere, but you obviously know it's not fatal. So I'm just curious to see how that plays out. But on the Batman side of things, um, he goes to find where the Genesis engine should be. And it turns out it's in a character I forgot about, uh, Tiger Shark, <laughs> the one from the Black Mirror story art with Dick Grayson. I forgot about him, but I remember being a, a kind of a good James Bond-esque type of villain, which was cool to see his return. But he didn't last very long because this new group who's after the Genesis engine, we don't know who the main boss is yet as the beginning of this issue. But he has you know like a hired assassin or a bodyguard type character who has this really cool suit of armor that's like a medieval knight. And I'm hoping we get uh, more insight into this character because he looks really cool. And I, it'd be awesome if he has a good backstory and maybe be fleshed out as the next cool villain that Scott Snyder developed because I just love his look. And seeing him go up against Batman was really cool. So the issue ends with uh, kind of, like I said, how Batman and Alfred's stories are paralleling a little bit. Um, Alfred getting shot in the past, and then we see the boat that Bruce is on as Batman being exploded, wondering how he's going to get out. And that character 
a slash Batman and cut him up. So Batman was wounded. But then we get the reveal, too, that the person who, you know, is trying to get the Genesis engine who's behind all this is actually that character, Briar, that Alfred met in the past who ends up shooting him in that flashback sequence. So uh, he recognizes Alfred and then Alfred recognizes him. So it'll cool to see to get more history on how those characters, you know, what the relationship was like in the past, if they had a falling out, did he train Alfred for anything? So it's going to be interesting to see what their dynamic is. So another solid entry into uh, this story. I just wish we get the main focus of it was on Alfred and his past, but don't get me wrong. The Batman stuff has been really fun too. Like I said, in the last issue, it has like this James Bond kind of feel to it, which just kind of makes for a fun Batman story. So I'm going to give this one, Four out of five new TV shows that Dane's trying to watch but can't get into. And finally, we're at Batman and Elmer Fudd. So (laughs) if I were to tell you there's a Batman Elmer Fudd comic, Dane, I'm sure you'd probably roll your eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I pretty much would because it's like it's it's kind of like is that going to work? And you just think it's like a fun tie in story, you know. Warner Brothers and Looney Tunes are under the same umbrella. Okay, yeah. let's have a fun issue. But Dane, this might be one of the best Batman comic stories you're going to read in a while. Really? <laughs> I was shocked about how good it was. It was not what I was expecting. <laughs> and to be honest, I really wasn't going to pick it up. But uh, someone I interact with on Twitter named Chris Rodriguez, uh, he recommended it to me. He read it and he goes, you know, you might not be <laughs> expecting this issue to be good, but it's one of the best Batman stories I've read in a long time. So pick it up. And I did. And he was right. And I'm going to do something a little different on this one. I know we give the spoiler warning out, but I'm not going to spoil how this issue ends because there might be a lot of people who were thinking like you and me and not giving this story much attention. But I want them to experience it, <laughs> the ending for themselves without it being spoiled because it's really good. It's a noir style type setting with Elmer Fudd being the narrator. And by the way, Tom King did a great job of his dialogue, replacing the uh, R's with the W's, like how Elmer Fudd talks. Cause the title of the story is play for me. And just how the narration goes like sometimes in the Wayne comes down so hard. <laughs> you for you forget <laughs> all that type of dialogue. You know, how Elmer Fudd, Elmer Fudd talks, Tom King captured it. But here's the thing. It's Looney Tune characters, but they're set in the Gotham world. They're not the the anthropomorphic animals where like Bugs Bunny is a rabbit, Daffy's a duck. They're actually human characters, but you know they have the same personalities, the same names as the Looney Tune characters. So Elmer Fudd goes into a bar called Porky's Bar, and the uh, main bartender Porky he looks like he could be Porky, but he's a human. But he has like this like pig type face, but you know it's a human. And then Bugs has like overbite buck tooth as a rabbit and the you you get a little hints and teases and cameos of other looney tunes characters as human forms like tweety bird the small um like mob type boss who uses his phrase uh i thought i saw a putty tat in a much different <laughs> adult context but you see tasmanian devil be this like rave like mad uh person with a mohawk just beating somebody up in the bar so it's capturing the characteristics of the looney tunes characters in human form really well so it's about emma fudd being a hit hitman and he's there to kill bugs bunny because he believes bugs killed his girlfriend or the only woman he loved who it turns out to be silver saint cloud and it turns into a mystery story where bugs convinces uh 
Elmer Fudd, you know, it really wasn't me. If I give you the guy's name, would you let me go? And he goes, it's Bruce Wayne. And then that takes uh, Elmer Fudd back to knowing that Silver St. Cloud mentioned that name to him. And he goes out to kill Bruce Wayne instead. And he does shoot Bruce. But, you know, Bruce probably had some uh, body armor that prevented him from being killed. Then so Batman gets involved and confronts Elmer Fudd. And they have a pretty <laughs> a critical fight sequence I didn't expect coming. And Elmer Fudd got some pretty good shots in that surprised me in, in a way that, you know, you think Batman would dominate against a character like Elmer Fudd. But he held his own, which was pretty surprising. But Batman, Batman eventually did get the better of him and took him down so what turns out to be elmer fudd hunting batman turns into batman and elmer fudd teaming up to find the person who really had silver saint cloud uh killed so they go back to the bar and then batman and elmer fudd fight a bunch of different looney tunes characters like, like foghorn langord uh, sylvester daffy uh, you see them beating them up and they're all saying their catchphrases that you know it's them and I, my only complaint i guess would be that I wish Daffy was in it more. He's one of my favorite Looney Tunes characters. And he just had one panel where Batman whacks him where he says, you're despicable. <laughs> but um, this is the part I'm not going to spoil. It is revealed who, you know, really killed Silver St. Cloud. And like, was it Bugs? Was it somebody else? But it comes into a very satisfying conclusion at the end. So it was just really well done. A great detective noir type story. It was it took itself seriously and it worked the looney tunes characters in human forms and how they'd be in a realistic world i thought was really well done and worked <laughs> surprisingly well and the artwork by uh lee weeks it was really really good so all around this is just a great one-shot story between batman and elmer fudd that you wouldn't expect to be good but ended up being probably one of the best batman stories you're going to read this year so I can't recommend it enough. Definitely check it out if you're on the fence about it. You're going to be in for a pretty cool detective story here. So I'm going to give it five out of five TV shows that Dane's looking to watch but can't get into. Dane, I was blown away. He's pleasantly surprised about how good this issue was. Really? It's that good? Yeah, it's that good. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, I guess now I have to read it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's also a backup story in here that I thought it was going to be. It was really slapstick this was actually Bugs at the Rabbit and Elmer Fudd in cartoony style with Bugs trying to trick Elmer Fudd into thinking it's bat season instead of rabbit season. He just shoots Batman almost every panel in the head, but it doesn't do anything because it's a cartoon. That's what's that's what I would expect from a Batman Elmer Fudd comic, but that was just the backup. The main story is just a really well-told Batman issue. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll give it a try, Tim. Yep. You got to <laughs> let me know what you think. All right. Um... So with that, I guess we're done. Uh, the uh, go over to the BatmanUniverse.net on facebookcom Universe. Twitter handle is at BatmanUniverse. Um, the show's Twitter handle is at BatfansPodcast. Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311. Oh, you got to say 311. The new album just came out. <laughs> okay, <laughs> at TimG311. The new album Thank just you, came Dane. out. <laughs> and my Twitter handle is at Dane Says Banana. Um, you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, so with that, like we say at the, the end of every single show, too, what do we say? We love each and every one of you with all of our bad hearts. With all of our bad hearts. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. <laughs>